0: Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Speech Therapy Murmuring, a speech therapy podcast by Chris Um And up to now, it's just been me. Um, today, it's just me again. Uh, but uh, in the coming weeks, I've, I've worked out a number of people that I want to kind of interview. I said I had the word interview. Um, it's not an interview. It's going to be a general chit-chat about what they do in speech therapy um, and some takeaways for put uh, I have a, need a qualified therapist that might want to get into that field, or therapists that want to transition from the role they're in at the moment to a role in that field, or um, for parents. So we're looking for some general strategies. Um, if you'd like to be involved, um, do send me a message. Um, I've messaged people that I'd love to kind of spend a bit of time with chatting about oh, uh, their role as a speech therapist. Um, but, um, yeah, if you, if you would like to be part of that, then I, I would be out stoked. the store, it would be amazing. Um, I want to talk about today um, a bugbear of mine, and I might not be popular for this bugbear, but, <clears throat> um, I, I mean, I, I don't know, I, so, some of my views are not are not always um, kind of what is kind of status quo, um, and they might be a little bit out there at times, um, I don't think I'm completely controversial. Uh, I think there are a lot of therapists that will... Kind of well, that do message me privately to uh, to echo their concerns um, or to uh, to say what was what's working really well and what the systems that they're working in. But one of the big bugbears of mine are when we get to a hearing, um, so we're at a tribunal, and the so we've got two different things. We've got. The therapist who's met the child and who has worked with the child, who has assessed the child is very, 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 very rarely present at the hearing and they're usually represented by a manager, uh, so the speech therapy manager, who has never met the child or met the child 10 years ago or has read a report on the child and and it's really important um, from a tribunal perspective that we that we're listening to kind of, um, that the whole tribunal is listening, or the evidence has been presented is recent evidence, um, that we consider what's happened in the past in terms of regression, regression, et cetera, but we're looking at what is what is relevant right now um, and how, how to best guide the expert panel members and the judge <clears throat> from both sides of the argument as to what the child needs moving forwards. Um, my concern when you've got a therapist that's never met the child and this happens uh, more often than not i'd say in at least 75 percent of the cases that the therapist has never met the child and therefore they've only read reports on the child and never actually they don't know what the child looks like they know never cast eyes on the child um and they're coming at it from a service perspective they're not coming at coming at it from a what who is the child and what did what 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 feeling do you get from from meeting the child in terms of the, the potential in terms of what their difficulties are in terms of what their strengths are, and and therefore the the their perspective in terms of recommendations and representing somebody else's report comes from how good that report was, how much time the therapist had to write the report, do the assessment, um, and I feel it is often strongly guided by what is available within the service. Because is how do you, from my perspective, how do you make a a need-led decision based on somebody else's report um, and argue that? I just I, I find it really really tricky. But then my second bugbear is therapists that are writing reports on children that they've not seen or haven't seen for. I mean, I know COVID's been a big pain in the backside, but most therapists that i know have continued to work in one way or another during covid but in my most recent tribunals i'm i'm up against therapists that haven't worked with a child for 18 months two years so they haven't actually cast eyes on the child maybe have seen them via zoom Um, and these might be children that are very complex it's children that have uh, that are autistic that are non-verbal and they've cast their eyes on them via zoom for example and their reports are written by, by like all of us, um, we're gaining information about as the assessment by speaking to parents, by speaking to schools, by sending out questionnaires, um, but also by interacting with the child. Interacting with the child as therapists for me is a huge part of assessing a child. Um, and if you, if you're not attempting to interact with the child, or if you're um, and you're just basing information on other people or lay people's perspective who are, again, they're experts uh, in their own fields, but they're still lay people, they're not speech therapy therapists. I have a huge concern in how this is becoming more and more the norm when we're going into tribunals that one, the therapist has never met the child and two, if they they may have even written a report on the child. and not met them for at least two years. Um, I've seen seen even worse examples. I know COVID has been a pain, um, and therefore it's not been possible to to do face-to-face in in lots of services because of kind of blanket guidelines. But then if that's the position that you're in, then I feel ethically we should be saying, look, I haven't worked with a child, and therefore I'm not in the position to write an updated report. I'm not in a position to attend the tribunal and explain to the expert panel members based on my vast experience that i don't know where the child is right now because i've not been able to see them because of covid but what's happening is these reports have been written and i see lots of them and they're written in a way that doesn't actually clearly state that the therapist hasn't seen the child for at least 18 months or two years, and they haven't interacted with the child in person. Um, and if they haven't, but, they, but the reports themselves are not clearly laying this out. And, and therefore, when you read the report and you see all the evidence that the child's making progress based on what the teaching assistant or what the teacher's saying, um, and then you have an opposing um, argument from a clinician that has met the child, that has done work with the child, that has used standardized assessments such as uh, such as the Children's Communication Checklist too, or sent out the pragmatized Profile, and done a classroom observation or a home observation, and has done some actual face-to-face assessment. I, yes, like I said in my previous podcast, these two lots of information um, from two different therapists create a fuller picture, but I feel that. It is more accurate. You can have a more. You would have more accurate recommendations from a clinician that has a met the child at least once, or b met the child recently um, and done some some face to face work with that child recently, whether it be formal or informal assessments, and and not just basing their reports on what other people have said about that child and how that child presents in one particular environment. Um, I don't feel that this is a kind of a controversial um, topic, or I don't think it should be. I think as, I think, as if, it t- taking COVID out of the scenario, um, I think it would be unheard of that people would be writing reports um, on children that they haven't met, uh, that they haven't worked with recently. Um, and therefore I think as a, as a stance, I do feel that if we're not able to see a child six months before the hearing, then I don't think we should be writing reports on that child. Um, if we haven't physically seen them, if we haven't physically tracked with them. Um, I do get in some services that, that a report is written by a clinician and then represented by another clinician. I do get that this happens, but I don't understand why. I understand that a, a, a less qualified clinician is often the person that's seen the child, um, and the person who represents the report is often someone who is. Um, kind of high, much higher up in the system, like a clinical lead or a, a service manager who has a clearer understanding of what is available and isn't always, um, from my experience, based on what the child's needs are, because they've not physically been able to meet the child. Um, and I mean, the, the, the hearings themselves, I mean, the, the expert panel members and the judges are very clear when this happens. Um, it's one of the first questions you ask the solicitor representing the family will ask Have you met the child? Um, or when was the last time you met the child? And have you met them? And you can see in the eyes of the expert panel members of the judge and then the, in, the, in, the, in the subsequent decisions based on the evidence that was seen that the, the evidence of someone who's never met a child who's just reviewing reports, uh, which again is, 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 should be part of the overall process. I don't think it should be the, should be the, is the right kind of uh, person to represent the child's needs within a hearing. I think they, they could be reviewing um, and putting a st- case statement out. I, I think that's that's absolutely perfectly fine. Um, but I, I don't think they should be uh, trying to accurately represent the child's strengths and needs and the recommendations and the provision, uh, of the provision and the outcomes. I don't think that should be happening um, face-to-face in a tribunal because I don't understand how the evidence that that person is presenting um, can be accurate evidence having either looked in the child for at least 12 months, 18 months, two years, or never met the child at all. Right, brilliant. Enjoy the rest of your days. That's three podcasts in the space of an hour.